0: Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Through each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We make leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we are encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we will be hearing from Dr. Danny Aiken. Dr. Aiken is the sixth president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and has been serving in the role since 2004. He's an advocate for international missions and expository preaching, as well as the author of numerous books. Dr. Akin received a BA in Biblical Studies at Criswell College, Masters of Divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and PhD from the University of Texas at Arlington. Dr. Akin served as Professor of New Testament and Church History and Dean of Students at Criswell College. He also served as academic dean at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Without further ado, Dr. Danny Akin.
1: Well, good morning, and it is good to be back home where I had the honor of being a student from 1977 to 1980, and then I actually taught here from 1988 uh, to 1992. And what happened was one of our students was at Lakeshore Baptist Church in Lake Dallas and said, we're having a January Bible study. And uh, my pastor said he'd be happy for you to come and do it. So I did. And the pastor, who just retired uh, in December, said, Well, I tell you what, why don't you just come back every year as long as I'm here? And I said, That'll be fine with me. So I continued for my time at Crystal, then my four years at Southeastern, then my eight years at Southern, and now my 19 years at um, Southeastern again. I've taught every book of the new testament except luke Uh, i'm finishing up the gospel of john this year so we'll see uh, as they get a new pastor i have to tell the folks look i'll be happy to come if he wants me to but if he doesn't it's been wonderful and you need to follow the lead of your pastor but i do love coming back to dallas god blessed us with four sons they were all born right down the street at baylor hospital And uh, so we just have a lot of uh, friends and a lot of affection uh, for this area and in particular uh, this school I want you this morning to get in your Bible the gospel of Mark chapter 10 verse 35 through verse 45 saved to serve saved to serve several years ago John Piper wrote a very helpful book it's a very short book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. And in that little book, he notes a number of things that particularly are relevant to our passage of scripture this morning. Why did Jesus come? He came to free us from the slavery of sin. Why did Jesus come? To enable us to live for Christ and not for ourselves. Why did Jesus come? To become a ransom for many to call us to follow his example of humility and costly love and to ransom people from every tribe and language and people and nation. If you have studied the Gospel of Mark, you know that Mark 8 through 10 is probably the most important passage in all the Bible when it comes to the theme of discipleship and following Jesus. In fact, in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, there's a very distinctive pattern that the gospel writer has put together in these three chapters. Number one, you'll find Jesus predicting his death. Secondly, you'll find the disciples saying something foolish. And then, thirdly, you will have Jesus deliver a powerful teaching on discipleship. And all that reaches its climax in the passage that we're looking at this morning. And in particular, probably the key verse in the Gospel of Mark, maybe even the key verse in all of the Gospels together, where Jesus says in Mark 10:45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so if the thesis is true, and I believe it is, that when God saved us, he saved us, that we might indeed serve others, just like he has served us, what do we need to understand about this call to be a servant? And there are three simple truths from this passage I want to show you this morning. Number one, it is a challenge to follow the call to be a servant. A servant. It is a challenge to follow the call to be a servant. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Sounds like a little child, doesn't it? Well, Jesus, being a wise parent, a wise discipler, said to them, Well, what is it that you want me to do for you? And here's their response in verse 37. They said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, if you do a comparison with the parallel account in Matthew chapter 20, you discover a very interesting thing. James and John did not actually come to Jesus and make this request, they sent their mama. They sent their mama. In other words, I think they themselves realized the inappropriate nature of their request, and so they could not man up and go themselves, and so they sent their mother, who probably was related uh, to Jesus' mother, Mary, so they sent a relative, their mama, to make a request on their behalf that they knew was clearly out of bounds. Furthermore, it's really ironic If you go over to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28, you discover that Jesus has already told the disciples that you will indeed in the kingdom sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And yet for James and John, sitting on a throne with the Lord Jesus, with the other disciples, it's not enough. We want the best place. We want the higher place. We want to be one on your left and one on your right. Now, Jesus is a very, very gracious teacher and a very gracious Lord because if it had been me, I think I would have fired back at them pretty directly and pretty uh, 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 sharply, but he doesn't. He simply responds by raising a question in verse 38. Do you know what you're asking? Are you able, number one, to drink the cup that I drink, Or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Now, I know that you all take Bible interpretation, hermeneutics. And you're taught that when you examine a passage, if there is a word that appears repeatedly, that is a insight into the argument that the author's trying to make. Well, and I don't know how you do it, but I'm big at marking uh, my Bible, highlighting it. Uh, I use wax pencils so it doesn't bleed through. Don't use highlighters, wax pencils will do just fine. And so you can see where the word drink is in uh, a purple color. And the word baptized is in an orange color, so I can see very quickly that Jesus uses the word drink no less than four times in these verses, and he uses some form of the word baptized or baptism one, two, three, four, five, six times in these verses. And both of those images speak of being overwhelmed by something. Baptism, of course, has the idea of being submerged and flooded and and overwhelmed drowned with something and of course the idea of the cup if you go back and look at your old testament you discover uh speaks sometimes of one's fate but often it is used as an image for the wrath of god as he pours it out in judgment and what jesus wants them to understand and in fact he himself refers to i have a baptism with which i must be baptized And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Lord, if it be your will, let this what? Cup pass from me, but yet not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus simply says to James and John, there's a cup and a baptism involved in following me. And can you be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized and drink the cup that I'm called to drink? And again, unwittingly, verse 39, they said to him, we're able, we can do it, Lord. And Jesus, again, very tenderly responds, well, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And it wasn't identical, but it was similar. Uh, You again know from your study of the Bible that in the book of Acts, who's the first apostle to be martyred? It is James. James. And who is the last living apostle at the end of the first century exiled to a rock quarry prison on Patmos but the apostle John. And so God did have a cup. He did have a baptism for James and John. By the way, he has a cup for all of you. He has a baptism for all of you. He designs it. He specifies it and just says it was not the same for James and John, it's not the same for you or for me. That's God's plan. That's God's business. There's one other thing that's God's business too because Jesus says there in verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or my left, it is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. Plato, the great Greek philosopher said, how can someone be happy? when he has to serve others. Jesus would say, how can you be happy unless you're willing to serve others? And the Bible says it is a challenge to follow the call to be a servant. But secondly, the Bible also teaches we often need clarity as to what a servant looks like. We need clarity as to what a servant looks like. Look at verse 41 through verse 44. Now, when the ten, the other disciples, heard it, they were ticked off. They begin to be indignant, the ESV says it, James and John. But again, Jesus, being the gentle teacher in this context, calls all of them to himself. And he says to them, verse 42, this is so important for you to have the right spirit, the right mindset, the right attitude in ministry. Jesus said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over, literally, they lord it down on them. And their great ones, those who have position and power and authority, they exercise authority over, literally, authority down over them. But, verse 43, it shall not be so among you. My kingdom's different my way to greatness is different whoever would be great among you must be your diakonos your servant your table waiter and whoever would be first among you must be slave and what are the last two words of all not some Of everyone we don't naturally seek or want to take on the role of a servant we just don't and we certainly don't want to be a slave to everyone that's why if I were king of the world I'm not but if I were maybe even for a day I'd like to do it for a day. That'd be plenty. I can move on. But if I were king of the world, I would require every single person who goes into the ministry to either be a waiter, a waitress, or a janitor for at least six months. That'd be required for everybody. In fact, I'd probably include that. You'd have to work at Chick-fil-A for six months. You say, why? Because you learn how to treat people. You learn how to treat people. If you've ever been on the waiter, waitress, or janitor side of the equation, life looks different over there. You learn a lot. In fact, you'll learn some lessons there you'll never learn anywhere else. When my wife and I uh, got married almost 45 years ago, I was a student here at Crystal College, uh, 21 and 19. And like all of you, we were dirt poor. We had nothing. So anytime anybody at our church offered to take us out for lunch or dinner, we had a standing answer. Yes. We didn't even have to consult with the other, and it's not like, oh, well, we need to pray about it. Pray about it, my foot. Yes, yes, and yes. We'll be glad for you to take us out to have lunch or dinner, because otherwise, we're going to eat the same old stuff we eat almost every night back home. And so one Sunday after church, a, a couple invited us to go out and eat, and it's not there anymore, but just across the Dallas Garland line up there near 635 was a restaurant called The Hungry Bull. It was a steakhouse, The Hungry Bull. So we went over there to have uh, lunch. And we sat down and the waitress came over. And again, I'm kinda chatty, I'm just wired that way. And so as she came over, I said, well, ma'am, how are you doing today? And she looked at me and she said with a rather stern tone, well, it's Sunday, isn't it? Now, if I'd been wise, I would've stopped the conversation right there. But I didn't because I wasn't wise. And so I said, well, why does it bother you that it's Sunday? And then unwittingly, I said, oh, I understand. You have to work on Sunday, and if you didn't, you could go to church. And she responded, if I didn't work on Sunday, church would be the last place I'd go. Well, again, at this point, a wise man would have just kind of brought the conversation to an end. But I'm too deep into it. So I asked her why would you not want to go to church if you could and she said you really want to know I'll be glad to tell you number one you are the rudest people I wait on all week number two you don't make your kids behave. And I had to acknowledge at that particular moment, there were lots of large cockroach creatures called children just all over the place. And again, I was 21. I didn't have any kids then, but I'm thinking in my own mind, well, she's right, and I don't know what you parents are not doing because that were my parents at that age. uh, We'd be on our way to the bathroom or back out to the car for a come-meet-Jesus meeting. That's what would have been, and rightly so. But then she said, number three, and she reached into her apron that she had on and pulled out a four spiritual laws gospel tract and said, and I quote, this thing right here will not feed my children. And she turned and walked away. I was 21 years old. Had only really been walking with the Lord for about a year and a half. I I was devastated. I mean, I was just, I I just, I, I felt like I had been kicked in the stomach so when she came back i said well ma'am because i prayed a real quick prayer lord help me say something when she comes back that will help so when she came back i said ma'am can i say one last thing to you and she said sure go ahead i asked for it and i said no ma'am i said first of all i want to apologize to you for all the times that christian people have come in here on sunday and they've been rude if you ever waited on Jesus he would not be rude be the kindest most gracious person you'd ever serve I said number two I'm sorry we don't make our kids behave we should and number three I'm so sorry we're cheap because if you were to ever serve Jesus I promise you he would be generous in what he leaves on the table when he departs and I don't say this this morning for, for any of this. I don't. I just share as a testimony. Because some of you need to hear it. In this is a quick aside, and I'll come back. I was talking to a friend about this a number of years ago that was a, uh, a waiter. I uh, had been for several years, and he said, Well, you know, Brother Danny, what you just said is true, but can I add something to it? And I said, Well, sure. He said, Not only are Christian people the worst people to wait on, the really, really worst people to wait on are Baptist preachers. He said, they're loud, they're demanding, and they're cheap. And you cannot even imagine how many times all they leave on the table when they leave is a tract. He says, Brother Danny, I know a tract contains the good news of the gospel, but all of my lost waiters and waitress friends just take that tract and throw it into the trash can because if you're not going to bless them and, and help them and serve them, they're not interested and so I made a commitment my wife and I 45 years ago that we've honored all these years doesn't matter what kind of service we get I mean think about it maybe that man or woman's had a tough day maybe their marriage is in trouble I know in this case this lady had children that were at home that she was concerned about taking care of and she was clearly in a one parent situation So we made a commitment that we have honored all these years and that is we have never, ever, 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 even one time tipped anyone less than 15% ever. And today because uh, the culture's changed, plus we make more money and we never tip now, in fact it's easy, I just go ahead and just do 25%. Just do it 25% every time. It doesn't really take any skin off my nose but it does bless that person who's basically living from day to day off the tips that people leave on the table. And would it not be the most wonderful witness that they would say in the greatest, the most. When the Christian people come in, we fight over who gets to wait on their table. Why? Because they're going to see. Here's the deal. You think wrongly. Some of you do. A lot of people do. When you go into a restaurant, you think wrongly that you go in there to be served. That is not true. That is not true. You go in there, what? To serve. By the way you talk to them, by the way you treat them, and by what you leave on the table when you depart. You see, folks, we're never more like Jesus than when we humbly serve other people how do you know that verse 45 which gives us the model of how to be a servant i could spend an hour on this but you get a minute and a half for even the son of man drawing that apocalyptic title from daniel 7 where in the night vision the son of man comes to the ancient of days and receives an eternal kingdom yes he is the messiah he is the coming king He is the Son of God, the Son of Man. Yet even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life a ransom for many drawing from that wonderful 53rd chapter of Isaiah. He does a beautiful thing, doesn't he? He is the King, he is the Messiah, he is the Lord. But how will he enter into and receive his kingdom? By being a suffering servant. And giving his life as a payment, as a ransom for the sins of all of us. I mentioned earlier that Francis Schaeffer, maybe I did. I know I did it with a group at the church a moment ago. But Francis Schaeffer was a real hero to me. He taught me that you could be a Christian and still use your mind. A wonderful philosopher. But he had some real insights into uh, being A servant. He wrote a book that I would commend to all of you entitled No Little People. No Little People. and In that book, Francis Schaeffer said this, and I close. Christ taught his disciples that the greatest among them would be the servant of all. Doesn't each of us tend to reverse this, following our natural inclinations as fallen men and ignore the word of God? Don't we like the foremost place, seeking the highest place in direct contradiction to the teaching of our lord if we're going to do the lord's work in the lord's way we must take jesus's teaching seriously but if we have the world's mentality of wanting the foremost place we are not qualified for christian leadership oh this mentality can lift us into ecclesiastical leadership or fit us for being a big name among men, but it unfits us for true spiritual leadership. And then he says, To the extent that we want power, we are in the flesh. And the Holy Spirit has no part in that. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You and I are never more like Jesus than when we are serving others. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage that continually convicts me every time I read it. And, Lord, I pray for me and all my brothers and sisters here this morning, that, Lord, above all things, we would aspire, that we would aspire to be a servant and a slave of all, following clearly in the footsteps of our Master, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen.
0: Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.